Hello and welcome to livealittlehigher.com. This week on the night of the 25th of Kislev, we will be celebrating Hanukkah, a beautiful holiday in which we really connect to the light, to the light of miracles and the light of hope and the light that nothing is impossible and that light is always brighter than darkness. And so in his famous Gemara, Hassal the Sages, described the situation in the Beit HaMikdash at the time of the Hanukkah story. After the Greeks had been repelled and the Jews had gained control, there was only enough oil to be lit for one day in the menorah. And for the one day, but a miracle occurred and it lasted for eight days until fresh oil could be prepared. So Rabbi Yosef Karo, the, the author of the Shulhan Aruch, which is the book of Jewish, uh, the code of Jewish law, of how we have to behave, how we do everything, uh, he raises a very difficult question with this uh, above Hassal. And um, he asks, since there was sufficient oil for one day, the miracle only happened on se for seven days. Like really, if there was oil for one day, then the miracle really is not eight days, it's seven days because there was oil for one day. And, where, and then were eight days of Hanukkah instituted to recall the miracle when seven uh, should have been enough. And so many solutions have been suggested uh, to this problem. Many commentators have given different answers to this quandary of why we celebrate eight days and not seven days. One of them, the famous one, is that um, the miracle we celebrate the eight days because the first day that they liked the menorah was a miracle in itself. Because if you only have oil for one day, why would you even try to light it up if you don't have enough? But the miracle that they believed in lighting it, that to do it, that was a miracle in itself. But here, uh, Rabbi Yosef Karo, he gives us a different explanation, a fascinating explanation. And he says, everything in the physical world is by definition finite. Like we live in a finite world. We don't live in a world that is eternal. This world is has finitude. Everything that is born it, it dies eventually. Like even the, 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 the vegetation has a, a time limit. Uh, humanity has a time limit. Everything has a time. And that it can be limited by dimensions. There are six directions in the, in the world. There's north, south, east, west, um, up and down, which together describe the three dimensions of the physical world. Everything without exception, everything that is part of this world of Asiya, the world of action, this world that we know, uh, we call it planet Earth, plus the constellations and the moon and the stars and everything that's around it, the galaxies, everything without exception fits into this three-dimensional picture and all objects occupy a certain space which can be entirely described by coordinates in, in dimensions, in these dimensions. And no tangible entity can in any way break out of this physical limitation. So we live in a world of, of nature, the physical world, um, and when you are connected to this physicality, to this physical world, this is what it is. It is you're, you're limited by the confines of the world, of time and space, and uh, that's it. This is where you are. You can't go farther away from this. So let's consider 
the world of miracles, which is a world that transcends this world. It's, it goes out of this world. It, it jumps over the nature of the world. And the Hebrew word for miracle is Ness. And uh, this also, this word Ness also has a different meaning. As in the verse, set up the banner Ness towards Zion. So Ness can mean a miracle and it can mean a banner. And so in uh, Yeshayahu, he says, Behold, I will lift up my hand to the nations and set up my banner, Nisi, to the peoples. And since all similar Hebrew words have the same basic meaning, we can say that a miracle is similar to a banner in the following way. So just as a banner is lifted up for all to see, so too the subject of a miracle is raised above its natural physical confines. So that's why it's so important to um, to publicize the miracle because to publicize a miracle is saying like okay we're not bounded by by the world we're not constricted there's there's always another option we can always tap into something supra rational superhuman soup that gets out of our of our understanding we can always tap into this other dimension and so we see that an object can function in its normal environment confined by the laws of nature, or it can shed its natural constraints through a miraculous event, like we had in the Yamsuf when the Jewish people came out of Egypt, and the water parted, the ocean, the, the, the land became dry, and the water became like walls, and the Jewish people could just like walk through dry land and go from one side to the other uh, unscathed. And then when the Egyptian people came after them, it just turned on them and it it drowned them. So we can apply this idea to the oil in the menorah at the original Hanukkah. In its instinctive state, the oil could provide life for just one day. However, a miracle occurred, raising the oil beyond its natural capacity. It became a supernatural oil. So thus, impounded by the laws of nature, the oil gained new properties and was able to burn for eight days. So that the, the menorah was able to burn for eight days, really what it's saying is that it was a miraculous event because that oil should have burned only for one day, but the properties of that oil that was used on that first day had the capacity to burn for eight days. So in fact, had it been necessary, the oil could have lasted for still longer. However, miracles only persist for as long as they're required and it ceases as soon as the fresh oil was made available. So the miracle is lasting as much as you need it, that's it. You need it for eight days, that's it. The eighth day they were able to produce new oil, so it's unnecessary to have a miracle anymore. Now we go back to the natural order of events. So we see that for all eight days of Hanukkah, this miracle oil rather than a natural oil burned in the lamps of the menorah. And since each day therefore was separate miracle, Hazal instituted a corresponding eight day celebration. So each day in itself was a miraculous day. So using this concept, the Shem Ishmael, he, he explains that, he says, he has a question that there's a problem. And he says that when Jacob addressed his sons at the end of his life, 
part of his blessing to Yehuda was the scepter shall not depart from Yehuda. So he gave the Kehuna of, of kingship to Yehuda. And the, 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 the truth is that the, the Messiah will come from the tribe of Yehuda. As we see, David, Hamelech, Shlomo, Hamelech, they all came from the tribe of Yehuda. So this means that the Jewish kingship was permanently given to the tribe of Yehuda. However, during the times of the second Beit HaMikdash, after the Hanukkah miracle, the Hasmoneam, 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 who had led the anti-Greek revolt, retained control of the kingship, even though they were not from the tribe of the Yehuda, they were from the tribe of the Kohanim. So this contradiction of divine rule had harsh consequences, as the Rambam explains. This explains the punishment of the Hasmoneam, who at the time of the second Beit HaMikdash for even though they were tremendously pious people, they were tzaddikim, they were very righteous human beings and had it not been for them, the Jews would have forgotten the Torah and, and the mitzvot because what happened in the times of, of the Greeks was that they, it's not like today they want to get rid of the Jews. This, this anti-Semitism we're living today is, uh, is like the Purim type of anti-Semitism that they want to create the final solution and just kill us all from the river to the sea. That's what it means really, that get rid of them. But in, 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 in these days of the Second Temple, when the, when the Greeks wanted to take control of, of, of Israel and what happened was that they didn't want to get rid of the Jewish people. They had no problem with the Jewish people. They had problem with them keeping mitzvot. That was their problem. It was their connection to Hashem. So they forbid the Jews to perform Brit Milas. They forbid the Jews to keep Shabbat. They forbid the Jews to eat kosher. They forbid the Jews to, uh, to have Rosh Chodesh every, every month. They forbid these practices because the problem, this anti-Semitism, which is really worse than the other one, than the one that we're experiencing today, because the one that we're experiencing today, the wanting to get rid of the body of the Jew, it's not gonna get rid of the soul of the Jew. Even if they kill us, our neshamas are, are, are pure and pristine. They can never get rid of us. But the other one, which is assimilation, uh, to get the Jew not to feel Jewish, to not do Jewish things, it's worse because it kills the, the neshama, it kills the soul. So we see here uh, that the, 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 the intention of the, of, the, of the Greeks was that the Jews would have forgotten the Torah and their mitzvot. And these Hashmonaim, what they did is that they, they, they fought to their, for their life to preserve Jewish continuity, to preserve the Torah and the mitzvot. And they were nevertheless dealt a severe punishment for this sin they were entirely wiped out. So we see that it's, it's a very hard uh, thing that we're dealing here, that these people uh, sacrifice their lives to keep Jewish uh, life alive. And nevertheless, they were punished because they, they, they took the, priesthood, the, the kingship of Israel and they, they started making these kings, which they shouldn't have because they were from the Kohanim. They were not the, the, from Yehuda. So it is very hard for us to imagine how such great leaders, men who have saved the Jewish nation by their valiance, could transgress a clearly stated Torah principle. Not only that, but it is reasonable to say that the Hashmonaim acted with the consent of the Sanhedrin. So the Sanhedrin also accepted this, and by extension, the whole Jewish people. 
and we have no evidence to suggest that any objection was raised to their reign. It is also problematic to suggest that while the heroes of the war were righteous, their descendants were not. So the, the original Hashmonaim that fought the war, the few against the many, and they won this war, and they reconquered the, uh, Jerusalem, and they reconquered the Beit Hamikdash, and they came and served there again. Uh, they were very highly righteous people. Their descendants after them were not righteous. And the Gemara explicitly refers to the victors themselves as the kingship of the house of the Hasmonaim, implying that they actually ruled as kings. However, we can suggest a solution in this quandary based on our discussion above. As with the oil, the victory of the war against the Greeks was a great miracle. The Hashmonaim risked their lives, prepared them to die. They were ready to give their lives, Al-Kiddush Hashem, to sanctify the name of God and His Torah. And a tremendous miracle occurred, and they won the wars against the many, just like the miracle of the oil that really transcended nature, the physical boundaries of, 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 of and limitations, and they were able to defeat this great army uh, in a miraculous way. So in Devarim, Moshe Rabbeinu is described as a king in Yeshurun. This is in Devarim. He's described as a king. And Moshe also didn't come from the tribe of Yehuda. He came from the tribe of Levi. He was a, Le a Levi. His brother Aaron was the Aaron, was the, the Cohen, the Aaron HaKohen, the the, Cohen, the, the, the the great priest of the Kohanim. So Moshe was a king, even though he was a Levi. And he, his existence was spiritually so far removed from the rest of Israel. Like people were not like Moshe Rabbeinu. He was beyond natural. It says that there's nobody like Moshe. Moshe Rabbeinu, from Moshe to Moshe, there's nobody like Moshe Rabbeinu. He had a spark of Mashiach within him because if he, if the Jewish people would have been meritorious, Mashiach would have arrived when they entered the land of Israel. And we wouldn't be in this, uh, in this exile that we're right now, in this Galut, which is so dark and so painful. So we see that uh, Moshe was a king. He was a king. He, he, could be king without transgressing the directive of Yaakov, even though for any other levy it was prohibited. So perhaps we can say that the original Hashmonaim were also permitted to be kings of Israel because they were in such a holy level, they were such holy people, and since their victory symbolized the rejection of Greek uh, wisdom and its replacement for Torah, the ultimate wisdom, they too were raised to supernatural levels of wisdom, wisdom akin to that of Moshe Rabbeinu. It was not they who sinned by taking kingship. It was not them, since they were not longer subjects to the strictures of the Torah. It was the later generations that came after them who retained control of the throne who were at fault. So they failed to realize or admit that their circumstances were different from those of the predecessors. And they, like all other Jews, were subject to word of the Torah. And for this reason, explains the Rambam, the great Hashmonaim had to be severely punished. And um, yeah, so we have to know our place in life. It's important to know. It's important to know that these people that fought this war were in a very holy level and they were considered like kings. But then the generations that came after them were not in the same level. 
and that's why these uh, these uh, these Hashmoneum they, they they were extinct. So yeah, it's uh, so many. There's so many insights into Hanukkah. What's important right here that we have to understand that, that we really have to see is that Hashem always puts the right people in the right place to do the right thing. And that after them, we should aspire to be like them. We should really try to be like them, not go lower, but at least keep their stature. And um, and to wish for, for a time of, of peace, it's been uh, centuries of a lot of heart, heart aches for the Jewish people. And we see how through the ages we have been, they have tried to get rid of us, get rid of our Torah, get rid of our, 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 our connection to Hashem, of our bodies, of our neshamas. And, and this is an ongoing thing that's been going for ages since the Jew exists. This is something that is part of us. I, we're not gonna get rid of it until Mashiach comes. But what's important to see is that Hashem does work in miraculous ways and He always gives us miracles. He always goes out of the natural order to, to save the Jewish people. And uh, it should be this way too. This time we should see open, revealed, incredible miracles in our day. Uh, I hear incredible stories all the time of things that happened on October 7 and how the Jewish people really, the, the magnitude of what happened, although it's horrendous, the magnitude, but it really prevented a lot of other, other horrors. Uh, and we see how Hashem works around it and we should see them. We should see the miracles. We should be open to see them and to believe with more strength and more love and more joy and connect to Hashem in the best way possible. The Jew is here to be a light. That's our job. Our job is not to go and, and, and bring darkness to the world. Our job is to bring light to the world with love and kindness and, and, and being a mensch in life, being a righteous human being. So I wish you a blessed week, a happy Hanukkah, and that, that light of, of the menorah should shine inside of you every day of your life, and that we should see a lot of goodness coming our way. And remember, live a little higher. Thank you.